Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at WhitRiverside. Good morning. Good morning. Am I on? Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, we've got about a chapter and a half to get through in the space of, what, 20, 25 minutes. So we're going to have to be going strong this morning. Uh, We're going to be continuing our Grow Up series, this series that we've been going through in the book of James. And I hope you're finding it enjoyable and challenging. Are we enjoying this series so far? Yes, lots of nodding, which is great. It is a challenging book. And remember, as we uh, looked in the first week as what, at what the Bible Project said, there was this great line about this book. And it was this, James is trying to get into your business and challenge how you live. James is trying to get into your business and challenge how you live. And I think already we can see that this rings true with this book, that it is such a challenging book. And part of that is because it's so practical. Because the book is so practical, it challenges us in so many ways when we look at our own life. And so far, we've looked at James's wisdom, his wisdom on these practical ways that we can live a more Jesus-like life. If you were here last week, you would have heard Simon talking about the taming of the tongue, about how Jesus sees, sorry, how James sees what we say as an overflow of the spiritual condition of our heart. And today we're going to be continuing from there at the end of chapter three through to chapter four and throughout that chapter where James encourages us to commit to submit fully to God in our lives. He challenges us to fully submit to God in our lives. So why don't we start by reading this together? We're we're starting at James chapter 3 verse 13 and going through to the end of chapter 4. If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be quite close to the text today. So do open it up to those chapters. It starts by saying this, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow, uh, who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness." What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? 
You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against the brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbour? Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will, go to this, uh, we will go to this or that city. Spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, why? you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. All right, quite an intense reading this morning and also quite a long reading. And Jesus is continuing, sorry, James, I keep doing this. James is continuing the narrative throughout his whole book that living for Jesus, that following Jesus requires living differently. It's impossible, according to James, to be a Christian and have nothing to show for it. Your walk must back up your talk. And today's passage is all about submitting to God. Or in other words, truly letting God be in charge. And in keeping with the rest of the book, James gives four very practical ways that we can give, uh, give up lordship of our lives to God. And that's what's really happening in these, this reading today. James is giving four ways that we can give up the lordship of our lives to God, that we could allow God to be in charge and control of our lives. So what we're going to do this morning is just go through those four things, pick out those four things that James focuses on in this passage this morning. The first thing, the first thing that James uh, talks about is he encourages us to get rid 
of our selfish desires. I find it so interesting as I read the Bible, as I read through things that are said from people like James, that the struggles that the church had, that people had 2,000 years ago in how to follow God, are still the same struggles that so many of us have today. Because we live in a world today that encourages me-focused living. It almost feels unnatural to not see the world as something that simply revolves around me. And I'm about to tell you something that probably makes me sound like the most self-obsessed child in the world, but you're not allowed to judge me because we're about to come on to that in a minute. (laughs) When I was younger, I often felt like, I don't know if this is just me and I really hope it's not, I often felt like everyone that I came across was an actor in my life. I felt like, okay, no one's agreeing right now, good. I felt like everyone I came across was putting on, pretending that they knew me. And I'd go somewhere and I'd see someone walk down the street and I'd be like, ah, I caught you. I saw the same person in France. It's the same actor. This is all fake. I had this feeling that I was the star of a reality TV show that everyone was watching the Jacob Perrin show and these people in my lives were actors that were clearly faking everything. If you've seen The Truman Show, has anyone seen The Truman Show? I basically thought that The Truman Show was my life and I hadn't even seen it yet. (laughs) I was determined, I was certain that everyone, everything around me was focused on me. A show about me. And one evening as a child, I googled it. I googled why, basically trying to find out if I was right. Was everyone an actor in my life? And believe it or not, even though no one in this room's nodding their head, as a child, this is quite a common thing. It's fairly common for children to believe that everyone in their lives are actors in their story. And as I am older and can reflect back on this, I realised that the reason that I thought this as a child was partly because I was brought up being taught that everything was about me. I was told to do, I could do whatever I wanted to do. I was told to look after myself. I had all these different things that I was taught growing up that had made the world seem so me-centred. It had become all about me. And James confronts this selfishness at the end of chapter 3. For where you have envy and selfish desire, James says, there you will find every evil practice. See, what James does is he points to selfishness and envy, which really is the result of selfishness, as the root of all evil. James seems to paint a picture of two opposing pools. The pool 
of self, of selfishness, and the pull of submission to God. And you can have one or the other, James says. Either you live for your selfish desires, or you live for God's desires. And as we enter chapter four, as we continue reading this passage, James highlights the danger of this selfishness, selfishness relationally. How selfishness, even in the church, can lead to fractions, fights and quarrels. And to us, this isn't news, is it? We know that selfishness is such a massive part of some of the horrible things we see in the world. We only need to look as far as the Russian invasion of Ukraine to see just a glimpse of what selfishness and envy can do. But James challenges the church community in their selfishness. The need for the church to look the way that I want it. We call it the consumerist church. See, James is writing to a church a lot less settled than today's church, if you can call today's church settled. The Christian church was still finding its roots. It was working out its basic theology, but also its values. What it looked like to be church, what it looked like to be community. And it was a church of many backgrounds. There was this mix between the Jewish Christians and the Gentiles. And there were many different opinions on what community looks like, what church is, what church was even supposed to look like together. They were working out their theology on Jesus. And some of these things were really worth debating. They were worth finding out what did they think about these things. But I'm sure, because we know what people are like, that many of the things that they would have been working out would have been trivial things. And whilst the church today is more settled on some of our, some of these things, like our theology on Jesus, nearly 2,000 years later, There are many trivial things, personal preferences and opinions that cause these arguments as we seek to have church the way I like it. The style of music, whether we have pews or chairs, whether we wear our Sunday best or rock up in trackies. Many of these are genuinely hot topics in church in the West. And they're all trivial things. And many of these things, though relatively trivial, can cause great arguments, fights, disagreements, and quarrels, as well as leading people to leave the church community that they are in to find one that suits me better. And what's interesting As we reflect on what James says, we realise that James isn't actually interested in any of the particular disagreements going on. James doesn't say what is right or what is wrong, who is correct and who is falling short in their opinion. 
What James is focused on is the selfish spirit and the bitterness that is driving these disagreements. He is much more focused on the spirit behind it than who is right and who is wrong. Isn't your envy and your selfishness, James says, causing the quarrels? And then as we continue reading in chapter four, James seems to change the tone a little bit. And I don't know about you, I came across this bit and thought, calm down, James, you're getting a bit OTT. You adulterous people, he says, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Seems a bit extreme. And as I was reflecting on this, these couple of verses, I realised that James is actually simply making the same point as what he was making before. You either serve your selfish desires or you serve God. And throughout the Old Testament, there's this metaphor used to describe the relationship between Israel, who are the people of God, and God. And the metaphor used has God as the groom and Israel, the people of God, as the bride. And they're tied together by a covenant. So when James says you adulterous people, he's giving a nod to this metaphor. He's saying that as you live for yourself, you are breaking this covenant between the bride and the groom. Inward living, James says, selfish living directly opposes godly living. So the first way we could submit to God, according to James, is to get rid of our selfish Desires, it's 10-2, and I'm on point one. (laughs) That is the longest point, don't worry. Secondly, James says, to submit to God, we must humbly accept his grace. I love the wording in verse five. It says that, that God is jealous for us. See, God longs to have each of our hearts. No matter where you are in your relationship with God, whether you have a relationship with God or feel like you have no relationship with God, God is jealous for your heart. In Exodus 34, verse 14, it says, Do not worship any other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. And James continues to say, even though God is jealous for your whole heart, for you to live for him and not for yourself, even though he is jealous for that, he has given you enough grace. He's given each of us enough grace to cover that jealousy. All we need to do, James says, is simply come humbly before God. And how can we come humbly before God? Well, he suggests that it starts by recognising 
that we've often lived for ourselves. That we need to recognize that at times we've been driven by our selfish desires. And James urges us not to take our selfishness, or in other words, our sin lightly, but instead to recognize it and come humbly before God, ready to accept the grace that he has already given to us. As we continue through the chapter, we come to James's next step in submitting to God. Do not judge others. And here I think we find one of the most difficult aspects of submitting to God. And it's not something that we often attribute to submitting to God, not judging others. But submitting to God means allowing God to be the judge and not trying to judge anyone ourselves. And it's a difficult thing to do because we judge people every day. We get a glimpse of someone's life and we create the rest of the story. And in Christian communities, sadly, this judgment is so often heightened. We make assumptions on people's faith. We see a photo on Facebook of someone after they've had a few too many drinks and we think, oh, we've caught them. We've got them. It's so easy to see other people's mistakes simply as a way of making us feel better about ourselves. At least I'm not as bad as them. At least I haven't done what they have done. Oh, they must be backsliding. In Christian communities, it could be so easy to use the excuse, oh, I'm just worried about them, to talk and to, to talk about other people's lives in ways that are judgmental. And it isn't a new problem. Jesus constantly made this point to those around him. I love the story in John 8 when Jesus reacts to those who wanted to stone a woman for being caught in adultery. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought this lady uh, before Jesus. And they said, Jesus, Jesus, the law says we should stone this lady because she has been caught in adultery. So what do you think we should do? And in my head at this point, they've all got stones in their hands, ready to stone the lady. And Jesus bends down and starts writing in the gravel. And then he gets up and he says, anyone without sin, you throw the first stone. And instead of waiting for a response, he gets back down and writes in the gravel. And one by one, the teachers and the Pharisees drop their stones until it's just Jesus and the woman left. To which Jesus says, I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what Jesus was writing in the gravel. But doesn't it just make sense to you that as Jesus bent down and started writing in the gravel, he was listing things that people had done 
listing sins that everyone in that place had committed. Maybe he'd written lying. Different things that people could recognize in their own lives. And the Pharisees saw these words. They saw these sins that they had been committing. They saw their own shortcoming. And they realized at that point that they must put their stone down. Because Jesus says, those who are without sin, you can throw the first stone. See, when Jesus says, when James says, do not judge others, he's making the same point as Jesus. Who are we to judge anyone else? Who are we to make a judgment about someone else when we all fall short and make mistakes? To submit to God, according to James, includes allowing God to be the judge and not trying to put ourselves as the judge of other people. Finally, James says to submit to God is to let God lead. See, these few verses are often misunderstood. This is not James giving us an excuse to get out of having to plan anything. When he says, do not even talk about tomorrow, he's not giving an excuse not to plan anything. This isn't James giving you a way out of your social plans next week. Please don't quote James and say, I do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is my life? I'm just a mist that appears for a while and then vanishes. See, although I think that line would work, it's not what James is saying. And equally, James isn't telling us to be pedantic in our speech. He's not saying just add the words God willing to the end of every sentence and then you're safe. We don't need to say, I'm going to work tomorrow, God willing. This isn't what James is trying to say to us. James is talking about a rhythm of life which involves partnering with God in our decision making. This kind of partnership only occurs when we have a genuine relationship with God, where we spend time with him, pray and allow him to speak to us. And when we understand and know that God knows best and that his plans are better than ours. See, for me, coming to Riverside and moving to Whitstable was really a moment of having to trust God. And some of you have heard this story before, but I know that some of you haven't. And I'm just going to tell a very short version of it. But when I was looking for what I was going to do next, I had my criteria, the things that I definitely wanted in my next job. And one of the big things was location. I really wanted to be in London. I wanted to be in a big, bustling city. I wanted to be somewhere where loads is happening all the time. And I had a list of requirements of what I wanted in a job. And as I went through different jobs that were uh, going up at that time, job adverts, I I had a list of about 20 jobs. And as soon as I saw the one at Riverside, I crossed it out. 
Not only was it not in London or even in a city, it, at the time, the job was an operations manager. And I tell you now, I would be horrendous at that. So I had, it didn't take long before I'd moved on to that and I'd circled three jobs that I wanted to pray about the next day. This was late at night that I was doing this. I circled three jobs that I thought maybe these ones fit my criteria. And then I went to sleep that night. And at about 2 a.m. in the morning, I suddenly woke up and suddenly felt this urge. There was no voice or anything. I just felt a real urge to apply for that job in Whitstable. And I was just like, why would I apply for that? It ticks zero boxes. In fact, of the list of 20, it was probably the least likely one that I would choose. So I thought, well, if it is God, then I should do what he's saying. I'm not going to get an operations job anyway. So in about 10 minutes, I filled out this application form (laughs) there and then at 2 a.m. in the morning. And then fast forward a few months, I was here for an interview and God had spoken to Simon and Keeley and the role had changed and me and Emma went away very emotional from this place as we were certain that this was where God was leading us. And I believe that this is what James is talking about. What James is saying is don't be so arrogant to think that you are in control with your checklists and your plans for the future. Instead, be open to the leading of God in your life and allow him to direct your paths in order that you will be in line with his will for your life. When we follow Jesus... It changes everything. We are called to submit to the leading of God in all areas of our lives. We're called to get rid of this gravitational pull of selfishness, to humbly accept God's grace, to steer away from judging others and allow God to be the judge and to allow for God to journey alongside us as we journey through life. Are there any areas in our lives this morning that we haven't quite given to Christ? Do any of these examples that James gives us challenge you in the way that you live? Why don't we stand together and do some business with God? If the worship band can come up, that would be great. Yes. Let's just have a moment of reflection on those four things. Getting rid of selfish desires. Humbly accepting his grace. Not judging others and letting God lead? How are we submitting fully to God in our lives? Why don't we have a moment of quiet and then I'm going to pray before we worship together.
Lord, thank you that you are so worth giving our whole lives to. And Lord, we recognise that we keep so much for our selfish desires. Lord, that we struggle sometimes to give our all to you. Lord, will you help us? Will you help us to give everything that we have to you in order that we could live a life that you have set before us? In order that we could follow you and live the fullness in what, of what you have for us? God, thank you that you are so good, so loving and so full of grace. Lord, we need your grace. We need your love. We give our all to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside. <laughs>